Morning, everybody. My name is Michael, and I'll be reading our second reading this morning. So it's from 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll be going from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 28. So you can read on your own Bibles, you can read in the Pew Bibles, and if you read on the Pew Bibles, the page is 1,239, or you can read up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, good morning, friends. Good morning, Paul. <laughs> good morning, everyone else. Uh, nice to see you this morning. Uh, it'd be great for you to keep that part of uh, God's Word open. There's an outline uh, in your news sheet as well, which you might find helpful. Uh, let's pray again and come to God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for speaking to us uh, in your Son, in your Word. Thank you for the way the Scriptures remind us, even this very book, uh, that the Bible is your word to us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that's how we would hear it this morning. Pray you give us the energy we need that we would push aside distraction. Give us the attention we would hear, and particularly, Father, we pray we would take it to heart. Maybe you alone who is glorified by your word. We pray these things for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, I want to ask a question this morning, and that is, what do you like at waiting uh, how patient are you when you have to wait? Uh, in the car, uh, on the phone, in the line with the groceries, in the doctor's waiting room, so aptly named. Uh, what do you like at waiting? Uh, just the other week I had my uh, own extended opportunity to ask this of myself as I sat on hold on the phone, not once, but twice, with a particular airline who'd cancelled my flight, who for the sake of anonymity will just call Tigra. 
It was an interesting little moment of self-discovery. Uh, but what about you? Uh, what do you like when you have to wait? Uh, well, I thought this morning uh, we would find out. Uh, a little pop quiz, if you like. A little self-assessment. Uh, I'll give you a couple of scenarios, uh, a few options to choose, and, and together we'll discover what you're like at waiting. Okay, here we go, scenario one. You're at the supermarket. Uh, you're lined up with your trolley in a long line to the checkout. And as you wait, you can't help but notice down there in the distance that the person at the front of the line is having an extended conversation with the checkout operator, complete with slaps on the back and a whole lot of laughter. How do you respond? A couple of possibilities. One, you're happy. You believe in community. In fact, you, you consider leaving your ice cream melting there in your trolley and going up and joining them. Uh, there's one response. Uh, option B. You stay where you are and, and kind of seething to yourself. You start to think of a few things you might say to the checkout operator when you get at last to the front of the line. That's another. Option C. Completely fed up, you take a few steps back and, and building momentum... You try to drive your trolley between the checkout and the other person at the front of the line. What do you like at waiting? Scenario two. You're in a crowded doctor's surgery. You've been there for over an hour. Nobody seems to be moving. How do you respond? Do you A, thank the Lord that you finally get to catch up on the 1992 Reader's Digest Thought you were never going to get to it, but now's your chance. Do you be? Kind of make yourself hyperventilate and try to get some attention in the room. Or do you see? Announce loudly to the desk nurse that you have a highly contagious, indeed a fatal rash, and see if you can empty the waiting room. What do you like at waiting? Scenario three much more serious this time. You hear the gospel of Jesus. The great news that Jesus died for you and rose as king. And more to the point, and particularly for today, that he will return. And only those who welcome him now will be welcomed by him then. How do you respond? Do you shrug your shoulders? Turn your back and go on living like it's not really true. Do you be? Respond at once. But then in time, treat it more like a, a dot in the distance than a real present reality. Or do you see, completely reorient your life so that every moment of every day is lived in the light of Jesus' return. Friends, what do you like at waiting? The reason I ask that question is because that, that's the question that God has been asking again and again as we've read this book together. What are you like at waiting for Jesus' certain return? See, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of every chapter in this letter, 1 Thessalonians, that's what Paul's referred to. In fact, if you've got your Bible handy now, you might want to open it up and, and come with me and see for yourself. 
If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 10, it's, it's there, chapter 1 and verse 10. We, we had it read earlier. Chapter 1 and verse 10. Or, or, or flicking forward, forward, chapter 2, verse 19. There it is again. Or then chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. And then again today, there in verse 23, you see, the return of Jesus is the reference point for the whole of this letter. Why? Because God wants it to be, along with Jesus dying and rising again, the reference point for the whole of the Christian life. That thing that should shape everything we do. From our, our work life to our sex life, as we saw back in chapter 4. From the, the way we live to our hope in death, as we saw those last two weeks. Even to the way we speak and the opposition we face. In fact, even, and perhaps most important at all, as Paul comes now to the climax of his letter here in chapter 5, to the way we do this. To the way we do church. The way we wait here for Jesus' return in church. So often I think it's, the, it's so easy to have a, a low opinion of this, of church. I mean, what does this really do? Why does this really matter? But friends, I hope we'll see this morning, Paul doesn't, God doesn't. In fact, I think the reason that he's left, what he's about to say about church till the end of the letter is because it is so important. Because without this, everything else he's already said will all just come crashing down. Get this wrong, you'll get everything else wrong as well. But get this right, and chances are you'll get everything else right as well. And so let's get to it. The question is, how do you wait well for Jesus' return in church? You do it, Paul says, by respecting your leaders. By respecting those who lead us in church. Have a look with me there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I remember seeing this one episode once, one of my favourite TV shows, The West Wing, uh, where the vice president says in an you know, important American accent, do you know what a leader with no followers is? Just a man. Taking a walk. It's profound, I know. Here's my point. Christian leaders should never be made to feel like that by the people they love and lead. They should never be made to feel isolated, alone, or like we're not really with them. They should never have to wonder what we're really saying when they're not in the room. Even, did you notice, when in their work for God, for us, they take us aside and admonish us, correct us, rebuke us. See, I don't know about you, but I, I, think, I don't know what you feel, but the first thing you feel is when someone takes you aside and corrects you, rebukes you. But I've got to say, for me, it's not always respect. But see, Paul says here that it should be because they do that. 
That very thing that's so hard to do, yet is so needed if you and I to stick with Jesus and live for Jesus. You see, respect your leaders, Paul says. Indeed, verse 13, did you see it? Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And so let me ask you, as I ask myself, how are you going with this? Especially perhaps now in our church, in this time of transition between senior pastors, how are you going with this? As you think about John, you think about our elders. As you speak of John, speak of our elders. And perhaps especially as you respond to their correction, are you waiting well for Jesus' return within this church? Because see, if you are, praise God and keep doing it. So I can tell you, as someone who's been in churches where this both has and hasn't happened, it makes a massive difference. Both to our worship together and to our witness to the world. You see, God says, respect your leaders. And then he also says, did you see it there? Care for each other. Have a look there, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. I don't know about you, but, but there are two things I find particularly striking in these verses. And I think it's because of the way they, they particularly cut across the culture that we're used to. And the first is how entirely other person-centred all these verses are. Did you notice? Every single command is for the sake of someone else. Every single instruction is for someone else's good. See, I think it's a great temptation, isn't it, when we come to church, that we come to get, we gather to get, to get fed, and we get encouraged, even get challenged. And of course, they're all great things, and we, and we want them to be happening together, but did you notice that's not what Paul commands? You know, to gather in order to get. Now, what Paul commands, indeed what God commands, is to gather in order to give, to meet in order to serve. Just as Jesus came, do you remember? Not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So when we come, we're to come to serve. Even when it's uncomfortable or difficult, when it involves, did you notice there, warning, saying what's needed and not just what's wanted. When it involves, again, did you notice, time and effort and patience, when, when perhaps patience is running out. To gather in order to give. Paul says, care for one another. It's striking just how other person-centred these verses are. and It's striking how everyone's involved. Did you notice? 
Everyone's expected to be involved in serving each other. After all, have another look. Who's commanded to do the warning, the encouraging, the helping there, verse 14? Did you notice? It's not the leaders. It's the brothers and sisters. It's, it's all of us. After all, it's so tempting, isn't it? You, know, you find someone, perhaps having a particular battle with a particular sin, and what do you say? I better go get John. Or you find someone in particular need, a particular encouragement, and what do you say? I better go get Michelle. I mean, that's their job, isn't it? It's what we pay them for. But... No, says Paul. It's our job too. Since it turns out, this whole Christianity thing, it's not a spectator sport. You know? Who knew? Leaders on the field and up in the stands cheering them on. Go, pastor! Now, within this church, we are all on the field. We're all in the game. We all have a role to play in helping each other wait for the return of Christ. In, in fact, even in the most of basic of Christian godliness, did you see it there? Like turning the other cheek in verse 15. I'm responsible for you. You're responsible for me. After all, again, did you notice there, verse 15? It doesn't say, make sure that you don't pay back anyone wrong for wrong. Instead, what does it say? Make sure that nobody does. Together. Like that, that song from the super ad, that, that magical earworm that you can't get out of your head, you know. We're all in this together. So friends, let me ask you again, how are we going with this when it comes to caring for each other? You know, are we waiting well for Jesus' return here in church? Because see, I hope you'll say yes. I hope you've seen what I've seen and felt what I felt here in this church. I hope you've seen it in those testimonies we have again and again, week by week, up here at the front as people speak of how they've been loved by us. Just last week in the evening service, a new member of our service, a name Ken, told his story. His story of knowing Christ and joining us. And he spoke of this. In fact, he actually named the names of the people who welcomed him when he first joined us in this church. That's the difference it made to him. And friends, may we keep on doing it. May even now, this very moment, may we be thinking now who we can do this for. In just a few moments, morning tea. You see, how do you wait well for Jesus' return in church? You do it, Paul says, by respecting your leaders, caring for each other. And finally, by enjoying your dependence on God. By actually enjoying His will for you and His word to you. And perhaps especially the fact that it's He who will keep you until the day that Jesus returns. Lots of people, of course, have lots of questions about God's will for their life. 
Especially at uni where I work, I don't, not a week goes by where, where some student says, you know, if only I knew God's will for me. If only he'd tell me what he wants me to do. Well, friends, if that's ever been you, guess what? Here it is, black and white, verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know how you feel as you first hear those commands, but I have to admit, when I first did, I think my first response was guilt and burden. Do you even know what you're asking, God? Do you know how hard this is? As if my life wasn't hard enough already, you want me to whistle while I work? Whistle while I hurt? But friends, if deep down, this is a little bit of you that's like me, then we just have a look again at how good these commands are. Look at what God wants for you. And then perhaps compare it to what you sometimes imagine he wants for you. Is it different? Is it better? Friends, God wants you to rejoice in him every day. To speak to him every day. Give thanks to him every day for all he has done for you. And friends, I want to say too, these commands can be obeyed. Time and time again, you see of Christians in the worst circumstances who really know this will for their lives. I'll never forget being at this huge uni conference where a student from Townsville stood at the front and told her story. She told the story of how her and her family were missionaries in India. And that while they were there, her father and brothers were killed. Indeed, how their car was set on fire. And as they tried to escape, they were beaten back into the flames. And I will never forget that as she spoke, you could see it. You could hear it. The joy she had in knowing Christ. The thanks she gave that she would see them again. And the way she prayed for even those who'd hurt her family. As I looked on, I had to admit, I thought, how can she do it? I could never do that. But this is the thing in the testimony from Christian after Christian after Christian. In Christ Jesus, you can. How? Well, I think by first simply obeying this command. In particular, doing it now, before the hardest times of life come. By looking for reasons now for joy in Christ, to give him thanks. By being deliberate now to pray for him and realising how each of those feeds the other. And, and second, by doing the thing that Paul says next. That is by carefully listening to your God through his spirit through his word and his people. You know, as God speaks to you in the first place, in the Bible, 
in his personal, trustworthy, powerful word. That, that word that Paul commands, you see it there, verse 27, is to be read to all the brothers and sisters, just as we're doing now. But also, as God speaks to us through each of us, as the Spirit himself directs our words to apply this word to each other. As in just a few minutes, over at morning tea, we speak to each other of what we've just heard. And we speak into each other's lives. As we warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Instead, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. You know, like someone carefully panning for gold. Don't be too quick to reject what you hear. Don't be too quick to take it on either. Instead, test it. You know, hold it up against the light. Test it against what you know to be true. Listen to God's word. Listen to each other. And do it all knowing without a shadow of a doubt that if you are his... He will keep you to the end. So you want to know how to have joy and thanks while you wait for Jesus' return? Or how to wait well for Jesus' return here in church? It's by knowing this. It's God who will keep you until the day that Christ return. It's him who will hold you until the very end. It was uh, one of my uh, favourite uh, Christian children's songs, Sings. And if you know it, feel free to sing along. Hang on to Jesus. Hold on to the truth. Hang on to Jesus no matter what you do. Hang on to Jesus. He loves his children so. And here it comes. His grip is strong. So just hang on. He'll never let you go. That's how Paul ends too, isn't it, there in verse 23? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. His grip is strong. So just hang on. He'll never let you go. Well, friends, we started with a question, a couple of scenarios. Let's end the same way. What are you like at waiting? You've just been reminded from God's word of how much this matters. You've been reminded again that Jesus is coming. He really, really is. How do you respond? Do you, A... Shrug your shoulders, turn your back on all that God offers, on all that he gives. Do you be? Think, yes, that's good. Yes, I'm in. But as soon as this service is over, 
Treat our leaders like the world treats theirs. Treat one another like it's every man for himself. And worse still, treat Jesus' return like it'll never really happen. Or do you see, do you commit again to making the most of this wonderful church and living each day toward his return? And in particular here, by respecting your leaders, caring for each other, and enjoying your dependence on God, the God who will keep you right to the very end. Let's pray that we would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, reminding us again and again that Jesus Christ will return. We do pray, our Father, that we would orient all of our life toward that day. We pray that would make a difference to every moment and every decision. We pray that would give us great comfort and hope and joy and freedom. And particularly, Father, today we pray that in our church, because of his return, so different what we see in our world, that we would respect our leaders deeply, make their task a joy, that we would care for each other deeply, love and serve and give, and that we would, our Father, trust in you, that you will hold us until the day that Jesus returns. It's in his name we pray. Amen.